Okay, well, as you can see from the screen, the theme for our talk today is Pharaoh's Heart. Now, you may think this is a slightly strange theme, and uh, I'm not going to guess as to who thought of it. But anyway, somehow I've been invited to speak on it. <laughs> so, of course, we've been looking at the Exodus story, and Pharaoh comes up quite a lot, of course. Um, but, of course, we're not told which Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, of course, is just a name for the ancient kings of Egypt. So I thought we might think about Pharaoh, first of all. How many pharaohs do you know? So do you know this pharaoh, for example? I can hear some people know what, who this is. Of course, it's Tutankhamun. So he's probably the most well-known of all the pharaohs on account of the discoveries made in his tomb just about 100 years ago, I think about 1922. And his tomb was unusual because unlike other tombs of pharaohs, it hadn't been robbed. So inside the tomb were lots of wonderful objects like this one. So this is his gold death mask, I think it is, made of gold and inlaid with the beautiful blue stone of lapis lazuli. So here's a quiz question for you. Who, who knows when the Tutankhamun exhibition came to London? Which year, approximately? Did somebody say 1981? 76. 76. 76, right, you're closer. Okay, 1972. So I know that because I went to see it. <laughs> and uh, I've even got the exhibition handbook from 1972. And inside there are some wonderful pictures of the amazing objects found in the tomb. So it really shows just how technologically advanced Egypt was in those times, as well as being advanced in other ways as well. So Egypt really was the superpower of the day, I think, worldwide. So if you want to look at this later, let me know. You're welcome. What I want to do next is just recap a little bit of what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So here is a little timeline of the Hebrews in Egypt. And I think the point, first point to make here is we don't use the word Hebrews very often with respect to the Israelites. But uh, it's worth mentioning here because it was in Egypt that they were first called Hebrews. Because in some ancient Egypt, Egyptian inscriptions, we find the word habiru, which is believed to be related to the word Hebrews. And one of the useful things at looking at the historical context is that we can kind of get evidence to support the biblical story. So the Exodus story is a fantastic story in all sorts of ways. And so much so that I think people tend to regard it a little bit as a fairy story, 
but actually it's a story very much set in real history. So it's important that we have the context. So, so you already know from what we've done before that um, the Hebrews ended up in Egypt because, first of all, Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt and then later on the rest of his family came to join him during a time of famine. So the family then grew in Egypt and this all happened probably around about 1600 years before Christ. That's an approximate date, we don't have a very accurate date of that. By about 1450 BC, we know that slaves in Egypt were making bricks, which I'll come back to in a moment. And then we've got our pharaoh Tutankhamun in around 1380. He didn't reign for very long. He came to the throne when he was nine and he was dead in his early 20s, so not a very long life, but he was clearly a very wealthy pharaoh. And then around 100 years after Tutankhamun, we have the pharaoh Ramesses II, who is almost certainly the pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. So he's from about 1290 to 1224 BC. And then the exodus of the Hebrews or children of Israel, whichever term you like, happened around about 1300 BC, but it is an approximate date. So that's a, a very quick resume of what happened. Let's uh, just look at um, another illustration. So this is taken from the tomb of somebody called Rechmeyer. He was a senior Egyptian official. He was the equivalent of prime minister to two pharaohs. And he was, was around, or his tomb dates from around 1450 BC. And it's got a very illustra interesting illustration in it of making bricks. And uh, I don't know if I can get this uh, laser thing to work doesn't seem to want to work for me. Well, it is working there, but not up there. Oh, well. Okay, so what you can see on the left, that the square thing there is a, is a pool of water. Just imagine looking down on that. And then you can see the slaves. Basically, what they're doing is they're mixing clay with water. Actually, some of it's not coming out on this, so you can't see the mound of clay. <laughs> But there is a mound of clay there which they're mixing up with water to make a nice smooth mud. And uh, then they're putting it into moulds and making bricks, which is not very visible there. But um, anyway, that is fantastic evidence for us from 1450 BC that they did make bricks, that it was being done by slaves. Um, not very obvious in that, this picture is that there's diversity among the slaves. Some of them are quite fair-skinned, so they could easily be from the Middle East. 
Others of them are darker skinned, so might have been from uh, other Afri African countries. So, and also there are some papyri that talk about brick making. Um, one of them, dating from about 1200 BC, tells us that the, there were quotas that the slaves had to meet when making bricks. And there's another one that confirms that they used straw in their brick making. And um, probably, if you remember Steve's talk two or three weeks ago, he talked about the making of bricks and why they had to have straw. So I'm not going to go over that again. Okay, so that's quite interesting. So now we come to the Pharaoh Ramesses, the Pharaoh of the, of the Exodus. So this is his temple at Abu Simbel on the Nile. And it's a huge temple. And what you probably can't see in this picture, because it's not that clear, can you see just above the, the bottom, if you go up a bit from the middle of the bottom, you can see there's somebody crouching down. Can you see that? Okay, well, that, that's a man. Okay, and it just gives you the idea of just how big this is. So on the right, we've got the statue of Ramesses himself. Absolutely huge. It's probably 100 feet high. And so the name Ramesses means begotten of Ra, and Ra was the Egyptian sun god. So Ramesses believed he was divine. And, of course, one of the things about these tombs, like Tutankhamun's tomb, is that in the tomb they had all the things they needed for the next life. They had a very much a sense of another world to which they would go. Um, anyway, so Ramesses was a sun worshipper, and to the left of him, in the, back, in the doorway there, you can see a statue of the god Ra. And, of course, this is called the Sun Temple of, uh, of Ramesses. It was one of the temples that, um, I think, in the 1970s, was raised to higher ground to prevent it being flooded out. It must have been quite a task to move that up, up the hill, as it were. Okay. So that's uh, Ramesses' temple. And here is Ramesses himself. So he can be seen in the Cairo Museum. Um, he's, this is his mummified remains. And this mummy has partially been unwrapped so that he can be examined. And quite a lot of interesting information has come from uh, mummies regarding the diseases that they had in those times. Now, the subject of this, of course, this talk is Pharaoh's heart. Now, it is not clear whether Pharaoh's heart is inside Pharaoh, because um, it was the custom in those days when Egyptian pharaohs were buried, the main internal organs were removed. So we know from Tutankhamun that his lungs and liver and intestines were removed and put into miniature coffins. And I think they still exist today. But uh, we don't, I don't, haven't been able to find out whether Ramesses' heart is still there or not, which is 
just a fun piece of information. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the introduction uh, to the talk today. Um, just to remind you of what's happened in Egypt to the Hebrews. And we're at the point now where Moses and Aaron are asking Ramesses to let the people go, to free them from their slavery and let them go back to their original homeland. Okay, and at this point, uh, Pam is going to read for us from Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did... Sorry, I've gone on to the next verse. I'll read it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Very much, Pam. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the main point there is that God has promised that he is going to bring the people out of Egypt. But unfortunately, Ramesses was not inclined to let them go. And the reason, one of the reasons was that he needed them for his building projects. He needed the slaves to make bricks, although the bricks were mostly used in domestic buildings like palaces rather than in the big temples which were made of stone. So, as, as you know, as you last week, um, you were looking at the plagues, and the plagues was the way that God eventually persuaded Pharaoh to let the people go. So in the next slide, I've got, we've just got here a summary of the plagues because it's quite a lot to read. So you can see there the 10 plagues, starting with blood, frogs, gnats, flies, the plague on the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. So Pharaoh survived 10 plagues before he eventually allowed the people out of Israel. And one of the key things in the plague narrative is that we're told quite a few times that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Even though he suffered the plagues, his heart was hardened and he absolutely refused to let the people go. But we also see in the narrative on a few occasions where it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, which is perhaps a surprising thing because we would have thought the Lord wanted to get the people out of Egypt, so why do something that makes it more difficult? 
So, so these, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart, either by himself <coughs> or by the Lord, is, is, is a little bit of a tricky issue. So we need to look at that. And <coughs> because it is a tricky issue, I think I need some expert help. And so I'm thinking that we could have some discussion groups, or at least you could discuss with one or two people near you what, what, what this is all about. So if you would like to discuss with one or two people around you, um, I'd invite you to do that. If you'd rather sit and think about this yourself, I think Nicholas is going to put some music on. Okay. So the first question what I'd like us to discuss is, why did the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? Okay. Now, in your discussion, please focus on the question being asked. <laughs> I see that's an important thing to say. Um, yeah, so we're going to have maybe three or two or three or four minutes to discuss that. And then those who are brave enough can tell me what they think. There is not going to be any coercion at all, I can assure you. Okay, so if you'd like to do that in a few minutes, that would be good. Time is up. Who would like to suggest why the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart? Anybody got some ideas? Ah, well done, Graham. Everybody knew God was God, and Pharaoh was just a man, and nothing more. So he made it... The Pharaoh changed his mind at the end because he had nowhere else to go. Okay, thank you very much, Graham. Does anybody have any other ideas? God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and, your, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, thank you very much, Pam. Yeah. Anybody else like to comment? Okay. okay. So, well, uh, Eleanor and I had diligently listened to Jamie's sermon last week, so uh, we understood that you could link the plagues to various Egyptian gods, so there was a bit about... Um, the Lord had to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he could go through that cycle of ten plagues, but then it also struck us that perhaps um, the Israelites needed such, so many plagues to get them to trust that their Lord was really powerful and, and could take them to where they needed to go when Pharaoh did eventually let them go. Okay, right. Okay, thank you very much. Those are very good answers. <clears throat> um, I think everything that people said was true. It is about God showing his power. Um, it is about the people of Israel really needed to know that God was with them. Um, and there was something else that I've now forgotten. But yes, thank you, that's good. Um, I think also, from what I showed you just now about Ramesses, believing that he was divine, this is really, you could say, a contest between the Lord represented by Moses and Aaron, and the foreign gods, 
represented by Ramesses. So if, uh, if God had let the people go after the first plague, then some people might have thought it might just have been a coincidence maybe. But since they had to suffer 10 plagues, that kind of reinforced the idea that um, God was really powerful and that he really was able to oppose and be superior to any foreign gods like the sun, which of course is just a created thing. It's not really a contest between gods, it's a contest between the Lord and somebody who thinks he's God. Yeah, okay, so I think we've sorted that one out quite nicely. Um, the, is that a fair comment, Joe? <laughs> so let's try a slightly, slightly more tricky question. Because I think it's surprising that Pharaoh hardened, sorry, it's surprising that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the question is, was it fair or even right that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart? Okay, so we're kind of on slightly difficult ground in that it dares to question something that God has done. Okay, so have a go at this question for three minutes. Okay, folks, time is up. Does anybody like to make a contribution? Reese, I can see your... Absolutely. Well, I think we, think we found it hard to see how it was fair for God to do that, given that my understanding of God I, love, I believe in is God of love and God of compassion and opening and softening hearts. So we were struggling with it. We okay. were struggling with it. Right, okay, thanks very much, Reese, for that. Um, oh, Helen, sorry, thank you. We wondered uh, uh, about the, the Hebrews as they also went through the plagues, probably thinking, this is not fair, this is not right, why should God inflict this on us, let alone Pharaoh? But I guess that when they finally walked out of the land free and then were rescued again in the Red Sea, that um, they might have found that um, the results of God's purpose working out uh, made it all worthwhile. <coughs> okay, thanks, Helen. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm thinking maybe it's more about the contrast. For us to really appreciate good, we've got to see the bad. And maybe that's what it took for the Israelites to come to God to see the bad over months and months of, of anguish and pain. And, and then the, when God really did deliver them, the, then it was really very bright light. Whereas maybe they were getting a bit complacent before. And maybe the same is true for Pharaoh. He had to understand the depth of the conditions he was in and God let things take their course and then work through it at the end. So maybe that's just what it took because of the human nature. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, anybody else want to? Is that, is that a yes? Take it, Graham. I think the thing that we were, um, so I think it's a really important question um, 
because there are consequences of Ferris heart being hardened which involve suffering and death for it involves the continuation of the plague so it's not a it really matters the answer to to this question um, and so one thing that we were talking about was whether it could be both true that Pharaoh hardened his heart so that he could be responsible for the hardening of his heart and be liable to um, justice for that. But it also be true at the same time that the Lord's agency was involved. So it's also true that so both God and Pharaoh were at work in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, um, if, that, if that makes sense. <coughs> No, thank you. I think it does make a lot of sense. Okay, so, yeah, a difficult question, and one that I think we can relate to, because quite often in life things do happen to us that seem somewhat unfair and undeserved. Um, one way of looking at this, and I'm not saying this is the right way, because we've had some really good answers and suggestions, what uh, this slide shows, if you can see, is some of, some of four, four of the plagues are highlighted in bold type. Can you see that? So the, the boils, locusts, darkness and death of the firstborn, they were plagues where it says specifically that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the other, one, other plagues that are not in bold type are plagues where the text tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. So one, one idea here is that Pharaoh hardened his heart in the, the first five plagues. And the thinking is that, you know, we, we do have free will. We can make decisions. And, and the thinking is that Pharaoh had persistently decided to harden his heart. And there comes a point where there's no turning back. In other words, he was so determined to oppose God that he wasn't going to change his mind. And, and therefore, it doesn't seem unreasonable that God should allow him to continue along that path. So that, that's kind of one way of, it, it, you could say that it slightly excuses God uh, for hardening Pharaoh's heart. But anyway, that's, that's one possible way of looking at it, that Pharaoh was already set on this course and nothing was going to change. Um, and we have to remember too that unlike us, God, of course, knows the future. He's got, he, he knows the beginning from the end, or the end from the beginning. So with his, with his knowledge of what was going to happen, then you can say, well, it's perfectly reasonable for him to do what he did because he knew that Pharaoh wouldn't relent unless he was put under more pressure. And of course, there's also the other side of it that the Lord is rescuing the Hebrews from Pharaoh. So they are worshipping the true God. Pharaoh is worshipping created uh, things. So that's just kind of a slightly different uh, explanation.
Um, there is an interesting commentary on this in the Bible, in Romans chapter 9. And uh, I think I'd like to ask Pam to come and read it for us, please. So this is Romans chapter 9, verses 17 to 21. And I haven't got it on the slides, so uh, sorry about that. So Romans chapter 9, verses 17 to 21. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But you are... But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Commenting on that very briefly, it seems to me that what it's saying is, well, God is God. He can do what he wants to do. And although, of course, we do believe that God is absolutely fair in terms of judgment, God wants to uh, work his purposes out. So in this story here is part of a much bigger picture that started with Abraham. When Abraham was called and Abraham was told that he was going to, that the world was going to be blessed through his family. And that, of course, is still working its way out. And of course, particularly with, with Jesus coming to uh, die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So there's a huge, big picture here within this, in addition to this story. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we, God is God and he is the God that we have to do with. We can't change God but we're entirely dependent on God. So there's another thing that I thought might be worth thinking about, and I'm not going to talk about it now because it's too big an issue, and that is we've looked at Pharaoh's heart being hardened. What about ourselves? Are we sometimes in danger of allowing our hearts to be hardened? Because it's a pretty serious issue having a hardened heart. The consequences can be quite serious. It, obviously, if our hearts are hardened towards God, we're not going to be able to have the kind of relationship with God that he would want us to have. So I think this is something perhaps we can all think about during this week. Um, what, what are things that might... In, cause our hearts to be hardened. Obviously, it might be things like life experiences, that, that, or it might be, as Romans was hinting, you know, we might not like the way that we are. There's all sorts of things that might lead us to, as it were, have a heart that is not really open to God. We might be angry with God, perhaps. So perhaps we can uh, think on those things during this week.
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story of the Exodus and how you rescued the people from Pharaoh. And there are things in this story that we don't understand. There are things in our own lives that we don't understand. But we pray that you will help us to understand and help us in our walk with you in this coming week. In Jesus' name.